0: Did you know that 60% of women say they've never negotiated with an employer over their salary? And only 14.6% of American women are in executive positions? Topics such as salary transparency or how much you're negotiating for your current pay are seen as taboo topics. And it's topics like these that are the reason I started the Amplify Her Networking Group. The Amplify Her Networking Group is a space where women can come together to talk about how much they're making, how much they want to make, how to price their programs, how to find dream clients or partners, and build community with other women who are looking to support each other and make more money. I, for one, think there is power in us talking, getting together, and helping each other make more money. And I would love for you to join me at the next Amplify Her Networking group. Our next meeting is Monday, March 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can head to the link in the show notes or amplifyhermedia.com backslash networking to sign up for our next meeting. Your first meeting is free. Again, head to amplifyhermedia.com backslash networking to sign up for your first meeting for free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and the Amplify Her podcast is all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Today's show is wonderful. I am so thrilled that I got to sit down with Jessica Sherman, an award-winning casting director. And um, Jessica and I go way, way back, which you will hear in this episode, because we went to high school together. And there are some folks in my life um, that I have, you know, stayed in touch with, maybe not stayed in touch with, but we talk about the beauty of social media and how we've been able to see each other's lives, essentially, throughout the years on social media, and I have seen Jessica's incredible career, and um, we talk about that in this episode. So Jessica, like I mentioned, is a casting director, and she has been involved with some of TV and film's biggest projects Um, she mentions in this episode but she began her career under the mentorship of April Webster, and she was involved with a lot of Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams projects, in particular Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Trek Into the Darkness, Super 8, and that CBS show Person of Interest. Some other projects that Jessica has worked on, um, the Percy Jackson series, Bates Motel, The Strain, and recently Willow. One of the things that I absolutely love is that um, after some years, Jessica decided to venture out on her own and start her own casting agency. So we talk about that journey for her. I am so, so green to the world of casting. I'm not sure about you. I had no idea that the world of casting is so complex. It is very female dominated, which we talk about and I find fascinating. And you really, really have to hustle in this world. So we talk about Jessica's career in that way. And when this episode was released, um, there was a little bit of drama, I don't want to say, (laughs) a little bit of controversy in the casting world. So since COVID, as I've come to understand it through working with Jessica um, on this episode and just doing my own research post episode, um, a lot of the time during COVID people, well, most of the time during COVID people have been sending in self tapes. So videos of themselves taping Um, for an audition instead of going in and walking through the door and auditioning in front of a casting director or an associate or a group of people. And there was a bit of controversy that has come out lately where people were charging folks to have their tapes edited and doctored in some way to make them look more professional and Casting directors really want people to know that that is so not needed. They're really against that. They support actors. And I had no idea that there was this much tea in the world of casting. (laughs) But it's so fascinating to me because something that we really get into and the heart of during this episode is just the love and appreciation that Jessica and fellow people in casting have for art and artists and this art medium. Uh, you'll hear her talk about the things that she does to support actors in their work. And I find it so incredibly moving and beautiful. And um, one thing I want to mention is that Jessica actually recently won an award. Jessica casted the short film Skin. And it was an Oscar winning short film. And it garnered her the Artios Award. So for those of you who don't know, like myself, the Arteos Awards, and I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry if I'm not, um, is presented by the Casting Society of America, honoring the best originality, creativity and contribution of casting to the overall quality of a film, television series, short film, short form series and theater production. I am really so thrilled for jessica that she just recently after we recorded this won this award i really loved this conversation it was just such a joy one thing i want to mention before we dive into this conversation with jessica is that she's an incredible non that she has founded and she still runs and is so passionate about which is called a cause for entertainment um and it is To support breast cancer patients, we talk all about it in this episode. Um, It was just so wonderful to hear about how she got this started and the work that she does to raise um, awareness and funds for breast cancer patients. So please head to the show notes to learn more about Jessica's journey, to learn more about A Cause for Entertainment. Please go support her work. And I hope that this episode gives you a little bit of insight into this world that I didn't know about, but that I'm so grateful I got a chance to talk about with Jessica. Uh, Enjoy. Let's dive in. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the Amplify Her podcast today. I am really just so thrilled to be reconnecting with you today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. So uh, for those who who do not know you and who um, are unaware, you are in the world of casting. But you and I know each other because we went to high school together. Yeah. and we are just reflecting that we haven't seen each other in a very long time um, but it's always so fun and weird, it's just a strange process because I feel like our generation is the first that um, had social media uh, introduced to us when we were you know in high school and in college but we've seen each other's lives through these platforms and in Looking at your social media and your life, I have seen this really rad evolution of your career, where I saw you start to get into casting because you would post things here and there. And then it seems like you have built such a beautiful career in this industry. And so... When I was reflecting on who I wanted to interview this year, I wrote your name down in my notebook because I was like, I think she would just be a really cool person to interview. So I would love to go back to the basics of those first few moments of posting and like, how the heck did you get in this industry? (laughs) And um, was this the goal? Like what, how did you navigate into this particular space within the entertainment industry?
1: Um, Yeah, it's been a long journey. (laughs) It's been about 13 years. Wow. Um, And I mean, I never even knew that casting was a profession. Like, I think we sort of knew uh, uh, pop culture wise, I think there was that old school version where, you know, actors were contracted by studios and there was casting directors within the studios, but it's such a different landscape now. so I didn't know that it was a profession uh, but when I when we were in like Lancaster Palmdale growing up I I was a huge music buff and in my head my goal would have been, and I didn't think it was realistic either at the time, but my goal was to be like an a exec and scouting for music talent because I just, we, we had such a strong music scene in our town yeah. that um, that it, that was like really exciting for me. So to sort of land in casting is not too much of a, a pivot um, because it's basically doing what a do with, with actors essentially. Yeah. So, so I landed somewhere in the right spot, but uh, <laughs> I went to sort of jump back a bit. I, I went to UC Riverside for economics and business because it was the expected uh, route by my family. Uh-huh. And uh, so, so I checked the boxes for them. And then after I graduated, I decided, you know, now is sort of my time of just figuring out what I want to do. And, and if there are people with because I had friends of the family that were in the industry But um, I sort of just thought if if they can figure it out, I can figure it out, too. And so I started interning at a, a voiceover agency and an international distribution company. And the voiceover agency is where I fell in love working with actors. And it was my first exposure of what that community looks like and what it means to really educate yourself as a casting director on what the what. Um, each actor is capable of as far as you know, and to be surprised by it and to have that education was invaluable. And after about six months, I knew that I didn't want to be an agent Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted to uh, explore casting, but you couldn't really make a lateral move in that process. You had to sort of start again, be an intern, do the whole thing and after two years of basically trying to break into casting unsuccessfully, um, I uh, I guess back up a little, about a year before um, I hit my two year mark, I met a casting associate who took me under his wing. I started crashing actor workshops to meet them. and um, And he took me under his wing and let me sit in for short films and commercials and anything I could sort of get my hands on to get experience. And then he was the one who extended an opportunity for a potential assistant position that didn't end up working out because they wanted someone with experience. So Oh my I, gosh. <laughs> it was a lot of like emotional whiplash, but I really had to take the leap in saying, like, this is what I want to do, and I have to I and I had the privilege to be a, a, a LA native to a degree and have right. my parents close by and and have that. So when when that came, when the answer was no. I basically called my dad and asked if necessary, would you support me for a year while I do an internship? Cause I don't know how long they last. And, uh, he said, yes, but if you, do- if it doesn't work out, you're going to law school and uh, <laughs> nothing fire under your ass more than something you don't want to do. So um, I quit my full-time job. I volunteered as their intern for like a full-time intern, essentially. Uh, luckily after nine days, they hired me as their assistant and, oh, wow it was very i, I want to say luck but like luck is also partly creating your own opportunities and uh, and hustling for it so that you're in that path when when it hits right. um so that you know it was very fortunate that i got to intern there and to then become their assistant and i was with uh April Webster and Alyssa Weisberg as they were the casting directors for this movie um and they April basically I hung on for dear life as much as possible. And I ended up staying with April for, I want to say eight years Wow! And I being her intern to her co-casting director. And now we occasionally partner up on things depending on what it is. Um, but I was very lucky to land in that office because I had an exposure to like the top shelf of projects um, during that time. Yeah. And, um, it, and it was really a blessing. So I, I haven't gone to law school yet. thank goodness well um
0: I wanted to ask you I wanted to go back to that initial internship where you figured out this is not what I want and um moving into observing how actors worked and getting to know them a bit more because I don't I think there's a generic Um, interpretation of what casting actually is like you're booking like in, in my mind it's you're booking actors for roles but in from what you just described there is an art to it I mean we can think of these incredible roles played by these incredible actors that are so iconic They have been cast for those roles, um, either through a professional or I heard of people being offered roles in various capacities. But what can you clarify what exactly that kind of exposure was and what you mean by getting to know how actors work? Because I am so green to this industry. And so I don't really know what that means. And I think that's such an interesting start and launch point for your career to have that kind of exposure?
1: Yeah. Um, So first, I just want to plug that there's a, a wonderful documentary that was created maybe like six or seven years ago, maybe longer at this point, called Casting By. And it's the um, documentary that spotlights sort of the creative journey that a casting director goes through. Specifically in this documentary, they talk about Mary Doherty, who was a very prominent New York casting directors she like discovered Dustin Hoffman John Voigt, like so many incredible talents that we are in awe of in present day um so if you're interested in in really dissecting what casting is and how we function it's a beautiful documentary to watch um but we as a profession I the best way that I can describe it is that we we're not the final decision makers. That is not what we do. Um, I would like to be in most cases, but I am not. Uh, But I, as a casting director, basically create a palette of actors for directors to choose from. Like they are, we are all the artists, but they choose from the palette that we create, right? So in order to do that, I have to educate myself on who is out there whether it's the older actors or the younger actors or people that are on the rise. Like I, I have to actively be out in the community, whether it's going to theater or seeing improv shows or watching all of the TV shows that I can possibly consume. Like the, the, you know, from the day player who's got the one line in an episode to somebody who's the series regular, who's in every frame of the show. So it's, it's so comprehensive and not only, here in the US, but I have to know actors from all over the world. So it's having that really expansive macro perspective of who's out there. Right. And, and also, and this is something it's become a little bit more rare, but it's something that I do more as as much as I possibly can Is having general meetings with actors so that whenever Mm -hmm. they're in LA, I'll have a coffee with them and try to get a sense of what their essence is and what their interests are and what extra hobbies they have that might, um, enhance whatever project I stumble upon next. So th- it's getting to know uh, actors as much as possible and what they're capable of. And that was the thing that was beautiful in the voiceover world, that uh, uh, voiceover is a little bit different when it, as it relates to casting, because the agents have autonomy from casting to a degree. So they get to decide which of their actors on their client list should audition for this particular role. And then the casting director reviews it, sort of narrows down the choices and then presents it to their team. Um, So for the agent on that side, they have to have a real understanding of who is capable of what within their own client list. And, and they can't just throw spaghetti at the wall. They have to be very intentional of who they submit because otherwise they're going to get a bad reputation for su- submitting just anybody and everybody. Yeah. So it's the same thing on the casting side, but in a more expansive s- space that we have to know as many people as we can, we can get our hands on, essentially. Understanding their body of work, if they have one, like getting the sense, watching self-tapes that maybe don't apply to us you know, just to see what people are capable of. Um, So that is like the macro version of what casting does. Yeah, And there's a very um, uh, antiquated pop culture reference that is like the casting director is the gatekeeper. And that might be reflected in maybe the older generation and I'm not making any claims, but you know, there's a reason why that is the reference. Um, But I have found that now, especially in the generation of casting directors that are coming up, that it's not meant to be, like, we are all moving, and this is something I say often, we're all moving in the same direction. So, and we're most commonly living parallel lives, casting and actors, but we're always looked at as the gatekeeper. So there's a really difficult uh, way, or there's not an easy way to humanize us as a profession. Mm-hmm. And that is the struggle that we are facing Right now, and I think it's also a big part as to why we don't have an Oscar category. Um, is because nobody actually knows what we do, and they just slap a label on us saying that they're the gatekeepers and that they don't like actors.
0: <laughs> well, I've heard you, <laughs> I've heard you mention online that Oscar um, category topic before, which I found fa- fascinating that that doesn't exist either. But what I think is so beautiful about what you're saying. And this um, interaction and what you've observed through your career is you're building relationships in such an incredible way through understanding how people express their art and how they present art into the world. And the fact that you are so active in going to see people perform and watching them perform in all of these different myriads of ways. um, I would definitely feel like that's overload sometimes I would imagine, but like, I think it just shows how, how entrenched you are in this art form and appreciative of this art form. Um, And I think that's a really beautiful thing to have someone who genuinely wants to explore this with others and then advocate for them to perform in this way in all of these other, you know, pieces of art. And so I think that is just really cool to see. And I I definitely have heard of the, you know, stereotype around that, like, gatekeeper Role and and how that works, but you had mentioned that you were working with someone and and stayed with them for for eight years. In that time, what did this person teach you, and how did that evolve your you know you interfacing with actors and and consuming this content? Like, what were some of the biggest things that you learned during that time?
1: I think the the thing that I keep with me and that and it has shaped me as a casting director is that my, my mentor and my old boss, like her number one priority was always to make sure that the actor felt safe so that they can do what they need to do. And that is something that I think is when it's not that like when you create a hostile environment it's counterproductive like you as a casting director are not going to get what you need from these actors so why why is it necessary so i think that's the thing that i've taken with me from her is that, you, that your number one priority is to make sure that they feel comfortable to be able to be vulnerable and to bring these different qualities that you need for casting but also like we're humans we like we need to we need to connect on that level, as we are collectively going through this journey together, you know, cause we have yeah. our own struggles that are barely very similar to what actors go through. Just nobody talks about, it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think that's the thing. It's like, I, like, I want to make sure that 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 the collaboration is a, is a good one and an enjoyable one for everybody. So we can, we can get to the bottom line together. Yeah. Um, So I, that's, that's the biggest thing I would say. Um, And I think, you know, you, depending on what office that you start in and spend the most time with is it it also sort of curates your taste a little bit. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? I'm so curious about that. Yeah. I think it's sort of just like the, the, there are, you know, there are different networks that have a different aesthetic, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're watching HBO, you're going to know that you're going to get something a little bit grittier, a little bit more raw. And the tone of those shows and the aesthetic of it is like you embrace probably a little bit more of like the character actors, right? That that have the depth and dimension just in their faces, which is so fun. Um, and then you go to something that's a little bit more glossy, like maybe like CW or brighter colors like ABC. So you're, you, the aesthetic of the actors also will change in that space. So it's finding sort of where you gravitate as a professional, what kind Mm. of content you want to be part of and the, the kind of actors that you bring into the fold because of that taste. Right.
0: I, I think this also is making me think of diversity and, um, you know, representation. And I would think casting um, directors and people in this world have a hand in a lot, of, a lot more representation on screen. How has that changed throughout your career in um, your desire to bring more representation to the screen and
1: like what you're seeing out there in general? I think, I mean, the last, uh, let's say, seven years has been really beautiful to see the growth, not only obviously on screen is important, but it's the people that are telling the stories, right? The kind of stories that are being told that are not going to be the cookie cutter thing that had been happening 15 years ago, or, you know, however long it's been. So I think like the diversity in the storytelling is where it starts and being able to, because we can, we can push as much as we want to push at the end of the day. It's, the top of the chain that makes that decision. So if when you can find, because the biggest thing for us as casting directors is finding uh, collaborators that you can develop a shorthand that are in line with your vision for the kind of work you want to do. So if if we can find those people and mine them, and you know when they get their opportunities, we can rise together. That's sort of the best case scenario. Yeah. So that you know when you make a suggestion, maybe this is you know it becomes. Uh, this male character becomes a female character or a non-binary character, or, you know, whatever it is, if there is flexibility in the creative collaboration, that's really where you find the most freedom as a casting director. Because Ooh, I love that. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that otherwise you end up feeling like you're ticking boxes, you know, right. what, what our l- world looks like.
0: Yeah. So you had mentioned, I, I love that so much because I think it really shows that, um, that it goes back to that whole gatekeeper stereotype. That's just untrue. And then I also think it shows that there is such a need for collaboration. And, um, I always say in, in my world and in the nonprofit world and the corporate world, um, you know, management really sets the tone. Um, the people who are running the show set the tone. And so when you have someone that is, um, has this deep desire to tell a diverse story with representation, or to hire people who um, you know have different skill sets and and don't look like you and me? I think that's really important. But it comes from, like you were saying, the top down being more collaborative. You had mentioned that um, behind the scenes, you and actors share some similar struggles. So I'm curious, in your work, what are some of those struggles that that you share?
1: I mean, especially when we are breaking out on our own. I, I started my own company I think six years ago now, and that and it it remains to be a struggle because it's the same thing that you recognize with actors is that they're sort of the usual suspects that end up getting the job on the screen, right? So we have the same struggle that there are a number of high volume casting offices that are are taking the 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 jobs because in in reality there is enough content for everybody in the casting community to be working at a certain survivable level. Right. So, and I mean, and I say this, the fact that, you know, we're on the brink of a possible recession, inflation's really high, like it's really challenging, especially on the coasts to survive truly. And so this, this, this problem that there's such a disparity in work opportunities within the casting community is a really difficult pill to swallow so there are a number of high volume casting offices that are known for taking on a number of projects at the same time meanwhile especially the generation that's coming up right now uh is having a hard time scraping sort of the bottom of the indie barrel and i love indie film not to not to disparage indie film because i love it so much but i think it's like there's got to be a balance of like one for you, one for me. I got to pay my bills, but I also got to do something for my creative soul. But like, we don't have that balance right now because it's yeah. really hard to break through. And um, and that's the same thing with the, on the casting side, as there is on the acting side, that there's the usual suspects that end up going the jobs end up going towards so there's I think there's and uh there's something that sort of broke in the last couple of days where a casting office made the wrong move by offering a service to actors and it imploded basically within the casting community and it's a really difficult thing for us to swallow because there's so many of us who care so much about actors and about the craft of casting, of acting. And, and, you know, we want to, we put so much content and energy and time into helping actors, but unfortunately the only time we as a community get attention is when there's a negative connotation to it. Yeah. And that's a real struggle because, and, and this is something I used to hear and I say it all the time now is that casting directors are the first to blame and last to thank.
0: This is so interesting because you, I mean, when we interface with the entertainment world, um, I think that in particular in movies and and television, um, you are interfacing with actors first. And um, I would really not know that there were all of these things going on behind the scenes when it comes to casting. I am so curious what made you make the decision to go out on your own in this field um, and to embark into this wild, wild west, <laughs> it sounds like, of casting and and really start something from the ground up that is
1: yours? Um, a couple of things. I think, you know, one, witnessing what my old boss had built for herself and like the the taste and the quality that came with it was an inspiration for me to know that I can do it. And I, and I you know, I come from a family that like, I'm first generation American. My parents are originally from Ukraine. So to see, to be part of a family that um, their number one priority is like work ethic and building something from scratch as much as you can, that it's yours and it's, and you do it with integrity. Like those are the things that I have, that I was raised on. And so to be able to see that, like, you can have a small business in within the context of an industry, just the same, it was um, inspiring to be able to to see the success ratio of something like that. Um, I think also, for me, creatively, I, in addition to casting, I really want to produce. And because I want more of a say on the final decisions, than we get to have as casting directors. So that was sort of one of the motivations that, that I knew that it was sort of time to leave the comfort of, uh, my boss's uh, company essentially. And I think it's also just taking more ownership over the decisions that I made because I was running two TV shows. I was running Bates Motel on the strain and, um, and they were wonderful experiences, but there was a, a level of pressure that Yes, I was making decisions that reflected my taste, but it was also a representation of my boss. Her name is on the door, you know. So there was there was a. I never felt like I was fully free to say what I wanted to say as a creative, that I that I should have felt as a casting director, Mm -hmm. you know. So it was, it, both of the shows were ending at the same time and with my uh, ambitions to produce, but also wanting the freedom to choose the projects I wanted to choose and to say what I wanted to say and, and not be nervous about it was really sort of the felt like the thing that was the, the nail.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What did that process look like from making that decision to then stepping out on your own? Obviously you now from that decision, you have so much more experience. You're working on these shows and you're really entrenched in this world. You went from, you know, internship to being hired eight years later, co-directing, like what did that process look like? I always love to get into like the nitty gritty because I think it's easy to overlook
1: that work. Yeah. So, um, in that timeline, basically since I was an assistant, so the hierarchy in the casting office is casting assistant, casting associate, casting director, um and since i was an assistant because i i wanted to be comfortable in my casting skin like it was so important to feel because you have to have confidence when you're directing people right that's like the, and if you don't have confidence who who are why would an actor have confidence in your ability to like cast so um So for me, it was always important from the time I was an assistant to cast short film, like to pair up with with UCLA, USC, like those student films, the thesis films that they would churn out and do any uh, bad robot had a mentorship program that they were pairing those students up with uh, department heads that had experience. So I would cast those short films that they were producing. Um, so anything that I could get my hands on to have more experience as my own entity I was doing. And then from wow. short films, it became you know, indie films or like a director's first first opportunity to have a feature. So I was building that that list of clients from an early stage in my own career. And I think that gave me the confidence that when it was time to leave the umbrella, um I I felt a little bit more at ease and thought the transition was going to go smooth. Um, and you know, it's never what we expected to be ultimately. <laughs> um, <laughs> that I mean, was going to be my follow-up. Yeah. Did it go smoothly? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's still going is the thing, you know, yeah. especially in this current environment within the casting community. Um, it is one of those things that, so when we officially come out or coming out, um, is, we have to go to all of the studios and networks and introduce ourselves to those casting executives in house and wow. say, you know, we're, we're here, I'm here. Uh, this is my background. This is where I came up. This is my personality, like me, hire me, let's have, you know, whatever. Wow. And it's a very intimidating environment. And this is again, how I feel like we definitely can feel and appreciate what actors go through in that space. Because there are so many actors that go and do generals too. Um, but so, and if you're in a very corporate environment going into that space and it's very intimidating. Yeah. And you have these meetings that you don't know what to do or why you're doing it. And like, how do I impress you? Um, And a lot of the times, unfortunately, it ends up being a little bit like lip service where they take the meeting with you, but you don't often hear from them again. And so it's, it's your responsibility to constantly be doing outreach. Like I do it quarterly, essentially reaching out to the executives, letting them know what I've just finished, like, you know, to keep them up to date so that my resume is always being updated within their own filing cabinet Mm. actually so and you know and there's a lot of times where your past relationships will uh give opportunities i had i had the opportunity when i was working at bad robot i i met all of these wonderful assistants that were there and they're now they're running lucasfilm they're running all these different amazing places that you know i got to reunite with a bunch of them when i got to work on the first season of willow as the u.s support so it it the idea—it's like all in who you know, and your relationship yeah. is very true, and not in like yeah. a crappy way. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you go through the trenches together. You pay your dues. You yeah. you know you, you bond on those things, and that when it's again the the hope that like rising tides that we all come up in the business together, and so it's very bonding. <laughs> Well, I was gonna say, it seems like there's a lot of long, like longevity in
0: this industry. It seems yeah. like people really stick around, and yeah. I, I'm, you know, when you went out on your own and and started building these relationships, what were some of the things that you did to like push past those? uncomfortable or fearful moments is like personal development because walking into a room and feeling super confident i mean obviously you believed in what you're doing and you're good at it and you know that but i'm sure that can feel intimidating what were some of the things that you were doing to help your mental state in those moments
1: a wonderful question i don't know if i figured it out yet um <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, for me, music is always a big thing. So a little bit of a hype up situation, but some, some of the times you do walk out. I mean, I remember one of the meetings I came out of and it was, it was so jarring. Like I, I had a good cry in my car afterwards that you're just like, am I like literally hitting my head against a wall? Is this the right move? You know? So I think it's to live in the vulnerability and the emotions that come to hopefully strengthen your next experience that they're not, you know, it's, it's the same thing that I say about us as a community of casting directors. So we're all different as humans, we're all different. We have different experiences and we engage in a different way. So just because I had a really bad meeting here, doesn't mean the next one is going to be the same. And mm-hmm. so I think that you prepare yourself as much as possible and having like a good support system in this industry is so important whether it's your family, which I'm very lucky to have like my sister is a huge supporter in everything I do, we talk multiple times a day. Um, and then having a close knit group of friends that I also tell like we go through our, our um, go through the turbulence and like the wins and the loses together, you mm-hmm. know, so those things for me have really helped me grow as a person, um, and a professional over the years to just understand like, and this is something I say to actors, that it's not personal, right? right. It's, it's difficult that it, as difficult that is to swallow. Um, there are so many outside factors as to why an actor does or does not get a job. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what those are on the executive side, right? So I'm sure they're also there. So I have to remind myself like you're in casting because you love actors, because you love casting and the art of it. And the, the opportunities that I get to do that with people that I admire and respect and who respect me, um, it's a gift, Yeah, you know, like we're not curing cancer. We are making TV and movies. And I think that is, it's very, um, uh, healing in different ways, Mm -hmm. but like, how many people get to do what we get to do? You know, we're, right. we really have a privilege and a gift to be able to do what we do.
0: Yeah. Which I think is why um, I think your work is very powerful in that you're entering into a space that could be quite intimidating, but revolves around something that is quite whimsical. If we get down to it. I mean, you mentioned Willow and like, I loved that new series. It was wonderful. And um, that cast is incredible. And um, I just feel like you would never truly picture you sitting in a boardroom or sitting in a conference room saying like, I'm pitching myself right now so I can be a part of this whimsical world and bring it to life. But it really is that like duality that I think is so interesting about what you do and how you're looking at bringing these stories to life. When you're pitching yourself, how long has it taken for you to like refine that pitch? Because when you're talking about it, I can feel you're so passionate about what you do and that you truly do love working with actors and building those relationships and making these things come to life. But did was that an easy way? Thing for you to express how to how has that like really evolved when you're in those rooms like talking about this work
1: I think and this is something that has changed in the sort of post-pandemic space that you know the only opportunity we get to do that is in a virtual space whether right. with executives or people we're pitching ourselves to or actors sending in tapes And, and it's, I think it's really challenging. Like I'm dying to get back into the room and to work with actors directly. And, you know, everybody has their different um, sort of like work method. But I think it is definitely taking me time to evolve in who I am as a professional and a person and how they sort of go together in that way. And I think, you know, there was a time that I, like the stakes were so high in getting the job and they're still high. Don't get me wrong. I want the job. Um, But the idea that um, I'm here to impress somebody and that I need to win them over versus building who I am as a person in a public platform, because, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on what your perspective is, is that, you know, we are brands. We create a version of ourselves that we want people to see. And, and it's uh, hopefully an authentic version of yourself. Right. So and, and it took the pandemic to confine me in my home to have a, a clear idea of, of how I want to uh, be know or what I want to be known for like the legacy that I have within the casting community is something that you know I started doing these coffee with casting conversations and that has been I, I think it's been eye-opening to see the appetite for something like that yeah and like I started at the beginning of the pandemic I think I had 3,000 followers on which was not something that I keep track of because it's just a place to put my dog dog photos and photos of my nephew <laughs> um, But like when I started doing the coffee with casting, I started, it just started jumping and I'm now I'm I'm somewhere around 25, 26,000 people and it's bonkers, but it's also, it makes so much sense because there is such a lack of information available to actors when they're studying or when they're doing this, because I have found, and this is not, I won't say this is a blanket statement, but just generally I have found that people that are usually teaching are not necessarily the ones that are actively involved in the casting or the actively involved in the decision-making process. So the, the versions of this, like the lines that actors learn of how like you should be making impressions and you should be doing this and doing that is not necessarily reflective of the work that we do as casting directors mm, right mm-hmm. or what we're looking for as casting directors so it's it's hard to um i feel like i've lost the beginning of the question
0: no i think it's no this is spot on because i you were talking i was asking you about how you're finding what you do and how you talk about what you do and yeah. this is just so perfect because Now you're telling me that because of how you've been authentic online and you're talking to people about what you do, people are now listening. What a great way for you to get that out into the world and practice, you know, just continuing to talk about what you do and having more people become exposed while addressing an obvious need that you found in, you know, this, this industry. I am curious, is this a male dominated industry? No.
1: So I think that's also part of the problem Mm. and not the problem, but like our problems is that it it is predominantly a female dominated industry or field. And I think because of that, that there is um we are, we're like one of the lowest paid Mm. fields within the industry. I think it's part of the reason why we don't have an Oscar. I think there's a lot of reasons as to what, how we are treated in the, grand scheme of things is reflective of who's actually behind the camera in our field oh I'm like you I feel like you can visually see me getting hot
0: right now as you're telling me these things because I thought that it was I wasn't sure if it was male-dominated I didn't think it was because I've honestly really only ever heard of casting directors who are women and the fact that there is this inequity I mean, that really does speak to so much of what you just said. Like, and I really, I would love to know, like, what is your hope for changes within this industry um, and, and having that, you know, obviously pay equity and this category and the Oscars that you've mentioned,
1: what are some of your hopes and for, for changes? I mean, the big one right now is equitable access to opportunities. I think that's the big part of it for the, the, the problem right now is because my generation is having such a difficult time sustaining and breaking through. Um, what legacy as a as an a field are we leaving for the next generation beyond us? Because if we're struggling, the, the assistance and the, like, there's no reason for people to want to be casting assistants because they will be career assistants or career associates because they can't break through. And what, like, if we are as a community, as an industry overall touting this inclusion and diversity and making sure stories are told across the board, that's never going to happen at this current rate. Yeah,
0: 100%. And I think that is very overlooked when talking about this particular industry in the entertainment, in the larger entertainment industry. Um, And I think you bring up such a great point about casting assistants. And well, if they see that directors are having a hard time, they're the ones who are in these roles. How are they going to feel that trajectory is going to be when they get there? Um, So I think like making a a more um, equitable path is really gorgeous. What are some ways that you've seen other people do that
1: um, in their work? Uh, within the casting community like yeah um I well I think as a so we have a guild a professional guild called casting society um and they had and I I got to be part of this committee um at the sort of not the origins but later down the road but they have a training and education committee that they have created a training program for up-and-coming assistants because if you're not in a position that you are uh financially stable that or have the the safety net of family or whatever it is to be able to be an intern there's no other way to get into casting it's it's who you know (laughs) who's willing to train you or being an intern for free and uh there's you know the, the positive there were so many lawsuits um I think 2011-12 about free labor at the agencies and stuff like that, that um, casting directors don't often take interns anymore, um, which stinks because then how do you get experience? How do you, you know, it's maybe a paid internship, but we also don't make enough money as a profession to pay people. So (laughs) it's this, it's a structural problem that we have within our own field that we are constantly fighting the battle It's an uphill battle. Like we didn't get unionized. And uh, I think it was like 15 years ago now, wow. So we're a really young union and nobody wanted to take us in. Like we were very lucky that, and there's a whole group of casting directors that did all of the foundational work that, to help break through that mold and get us up to join the Teamsters. But like you know, we were not taken care of, and now there's a whole other conversation. There's still so much that the the gap is so far, uh, yeah. so wide. I mean, now there's conversations of like reality casting directors being unionized, commercial casting directors being unionized because they're not part of our our group. So, right, and it's a world that I know nothing about, so I'm not the person to speak on it. But you know. <laughs> oh, me, I no, just like I just think it's really
0: fascinating that there this um cuz i'm a person where i consume a lot of television and movies you know i i love um stories and storytelling and so many other people in our lives do as well and it's so easy to not even think about the people behind those stories um or even behind the people who have um, directed it, produced it, or wrote it and, or, you know, added, um, things to it, but something like casting, it's, I feel like very easy to overlook. And then all of these inequities are, are easy to not even know about. So I really appreciate you talking about it. And I think it kind of goes into another, um, thing I wanted to ask you about, which is your charitable uh endeavors and um what you're doing on that end. Can you elaborate a little bit more on on what you've been doing in that arena for a bit?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for asking. Um uh, so in so I have been participating, let me sort of take it back. My grandma was diagnosed with breast cancer um when I was probably like 18 19 something like that maybe even younger and um and she you know she was older but it, it connected me to a community that i wasn't familiar with and we all hopefully hope to never be connected with you know but um so she's sort of her journey brought light to, to that community for me and then um, it when i just first got into the industry uh, at the voiceover agency there was a colleague there who uh, I loved, and she's, she's still around and wonderful. Um, But after she was she was laid off shortly after I joined, and um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer at 39. And after her insurance and everything went out. So it was uh, an eye-opening experience just from the outside in, because I was, I was, you know, at arm's length in terms of her journey, but to see how much she relied on these boots on the ground organizations that um, are helping every single day cancer patients, breast cancer patients, like any, any, any of those organizations I'm in, in such awe of. Um, but, and how important they are. So, um, initially I started getting involved doing the Avon walk for breast cancer. I did it for six years. I I would raise about $4,500 every year. And in the last year destroyed my feet and I couldn't do it. Um, and, uh, but I thought, because at the time Avon had like a thing, you could do like a DIY event for them. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, right now I was, I just come off of cast uh, being part of the casting team for uh, the Force Awakens, the first relaunch of the Star Wars franchise, and I had all of these relationships and resources at my fingertips. So I thought, you know what? Let me try to do a DIY event. I I produced the event. I got so many wonderful donations for like memorabilia, signed posters, like all sorts of from different production companies across the board, and I had a small event. Uh, in Hollywood, at the next door lounge, and in the we capped out capacity um wow. at for I think it was two hundred and fifty people. it was we had a, we had Kate Nash performing. We did like it was Missy Pyle was our host. We had a raffle. We had all this fun stuff. and um in the first year, I raised eighteen thousand dollars.
0: That's crazy,
1: yeah, and it was wow. like it was bonkers to me to think that I w- was capable to ha- to raise that kind of money. And so after that, I, filed for a 501c3, I started a cause for entertainment. Um, and it's, we are an industry fueled organization that raises money for women and, and the boots on the ground organizations that support women and their families go through their cancer treatment, um, and it and it, through it we've we've discovered smaller organizations we have we've stopped working with sort of the large umbrella organizations mm-hmm. um because i started to realize that when they're raising those funds a lot of it ends up going to operation costs and the, and yes the people who need it do get some but it's not what, the amount that we hope they would get right. so I started focusing on smaller groups that were making an impact in their day-to-day activities. And, um, we found through actually my old colleague, um, we spark cancer support center here in Sherman Oaks, um, Dr. Susan love research foundation in Encino. And then I found when I was reading a Cosmo article, uh, <laughs> this incredible woman in Maryland named Shay sharp. And, um, she was a two-time breast cancer survivor by the time she was 36. Oh my God. Yeah. 25 years, <sighs> something like that. But so she, she has, I believe she has metastatic breast cancer. So she is, her journey is ongoing. It's not something that she'll be cancer free, but she started this organization when she realized, like, I believe if, if I remember her story correctly, she was 26 when she got her first diagnosis and she was told initially when she felt something was off in her body, her doctor told her that she's too young to have cancer. And if she didn't advocate for herself, which is a lesson that I've learned from her uh, is, you know, she wouldn't be here today.
0: Yes. I recently just interviewed a woman with a very similar story to this and it's such a, a such a lesson around self-advocacy. Um, so now what has your organization grown into in, you know, in supporting these, because I really wanted to to highlight that, that piece.
1: Yes. Yeah, so we are, so again, it's a cause for entertainment. Um, we've been around for eight years, this coming October, we'll, we'll have, um, we were virtual or just online for the last three years. And now we're going to go back in person. We usually have a big gala in Los Angeles to celebrate and to raise money. Um, but we continue to work with Shea Sharp. Um, we, we, we are a 100% nonprofit organization. Nobody takes any money. Um, it's whatever stuff we can't negotiate for free. And, um, Uh, And we write a big check at the end of our fiscal year to Shay and to the work that she does. And we try to spotlight her as much as possible. And it's, it's been wonderful. We have our big in-person event. We've partnered um, every October with this um, company, this app company called Castability. And they, they started this thing with us called Castaway Cancer. And so it's a, it's a, it's a thing specifically for actors and the, the, the goal for me as as the head of this company has always been that we're not, we're never going to be the organization that you pay $400 a plate to come to the event for. Like we want everybody to be able to contribute to this very important cause in whatever way they can. So if it's castaway cancer, if it's making direct donations, if it's sharing our posts, if it's, you know, we also do a thing through charity buzz where we, we, um, auction off, um, exclusive industry experiences that you cannot buy anywhere Um uh, so we are 100 percent fueled by um this this industry which is a gift and um, such a privilege to be able to embrace what we do on one side um and to to be able to do good with it
0: yes oh i love that so much and what a beautiful way to honor your family and to honor that legacy and uh to bring in this, this industry into this world that, you know, where people are going to be directly impacted by this work. So I thank you for elaborating on that. I really wanted to ask you more about it and, um, in, I know we're wrapping up now, which is wild because this hour flew by, um, but I wanted to just go back to um, a top line question um, as we're wrapping up. What is your proudest moment that you've had? I mean, I'm sure there are many um, throughout your career, but what's been your proudest moment you've had so far in your career and what are you looking forward to in the future?
1: Mm, that is a hard one. <laughs> uh... I don't know. I think my proudest, my, my proudest moment is like a overarching thing. I feel like my perseverance in this industry has been something that maybe I didn't know I was capable of. Um, Cause it is a, it is a hard industry to break into and to sustain a life in it. Um, so I think, I think that is a big part of it. And it's, it's finding, I recently had a movie come out um, in theaters and it was such a, it's called Linoleum. And it's starring Jim Gaffigan and Ray C. Horn. And it was honestly watching that movie in theaters with people was such a beautiful experience to be able to support filmmakers. A, 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 he's not a new filmmaker by any means, but someone who's just on the rise now. And to to his vision that is just about people and humanity and I think that's something that I don't get an exposure to very often. It's, mm. you know, horror movies or whatever it is, but, or something so dark. I think that's all that this we're turning out a lot of like very heavy material right now. Yeah. And, um, and I think that like having that moment and with this film specifically was really powerful for me. Um, so that's a big one. And then, um, what I want for the future is I, I want balance. I think in my own life, I want from the industry, uh, you know, and I, I think, um, especially what's been going on in this last week of, you know, the loudest voices are not necessarily a representation of the rest of us. And Mm -hmm. it's to within the community to know that, that, that that's not, um, that's not fair. For uh, for <laughs> you know, So I, I think that that's the thing of like joining uh, to a degree of like joining hands with the people that we um, are usually on the opposite ends of the spectrum from or 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 you know, made to be in that way. Um, and hopefully there's a little bit more unity moving forward within the industry is what I'm hoping for.
0: Oh my gosh, what a beautiful answer! I love balance so much because I think that um, it's very hard
1: to achieve
0: for many of us. So I think that's such a beautiful desire. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and chatting with me about all the things that you've done and continue to do. It was just so wonderful to learn more about this industry and about. just your growth in general. I'm very proud. I feel like it's very cool to see. And so thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening. Yeah, of course. And for those of you who are listening, thank you for being here. And please never forget that your voice matters and your story matters. And I'll see you next time on the Amplify Her Podcast. I am so grateful that you've listened to this episode of the Amplify Her podcast. If you're listening to this and you don't follow the show, one thing that would help the show tremendously is if you open that Apple app, if you're listening to it on Apple, click on the title of the show and on the top right-hand corner, click that plus sign so you don't miss an episode. Not only does it help me to grow this show, but it helps you to be in the loop when episodes drop every Wednesday and every Friday. If you're listening to this show on Spotify, click on the show title of this episode to take you to the full listing of them and click follow. That way you won't miss a new episode as it comes out. For more information about the Amplify Her podcast, Amplify Her media, and the Amplify Her networking group, head to www.amplifyhermedia.com.